0: Welcome to Connected, episode 139. The show is brought to you this week by Encapsula, Blue Apron, and Text Expander from our friends at Smile Software. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Federico Vettici.
1: Hello. Hi. Hey,
0: buddy. How are you? I'm good. We are Mike list today. I was just with Mike and Elena. We're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, but he uh, just got back to his house like an hour ago or something, so he is... Uh, I think dead. Uh, mm. so just me and you, but we have a special guest for at least part of the show this w- week in the very handsome, uh, shockingly tall Casey List. <laughs>
2: That's not even true. Federico's taller than I am. But hello, gentlemen. How are you? Am I? I don't know. Oh, good. there. We hmm.
0: go. I feel like so. So the, the listeners will. Uh, you can picture this in your mind's eye. If you're, unless you're driving, just, if you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. But if you're at home, close your eyes and imagine Casey and Federico meeting. Uh, at wbc and one of the first things they did was stand back to back to see who was taller and i think federico did, uh, edged him how out how can you even remember this because yeah, i don't remember w- that at all <laughs> it was uh it was amazing
2: i think i was just swimming in in federico's italian charm and i in in time had no meaning it, it both stood still and ran much faster than it ever has before this is so much more romantic that it actually <laughs>
1: happened <laughs> I'm not sure this is the truth at all, but it's good. It's how it's how I remember. it. Yeah. So uh, so (laughs) we could call me uh,
2: mike Liss today if you'd like. Um, But yeah, that well, we'll, we'll, Mm. we'll, Mm. dad jokes—they're a thing. But uh, we have some things to discuss, Federico, you and me. We have some stuff to talk about. Uh,
1: Okay, sure.
2: (laughs) So I'm
0: going to set the stage. I'm going to set the stage before you two uh, get into this. So uh, this is the follow-up section of the show. Uh, we're going to have a new term. If someone comes on the show to share their follow-up <laughs> directly with us, because email is too hard, it is called follow-on. And so that is uh, added to the, uh, Lexicon. the the great list of follow-up uh, derivatives. Uh, follow-up, of course, being copyright John Syracuse of course. 2011. So we spoke last week about Plex, which is, for those who may not be familiar, it is a media management software. It has a server component so you can serve media out to the internet. So if you are you know, traveling, you can watch something on your home Synology. Or if you're me, you can watch the stuff in Casey's library because you're too lazy to <laughs> set one up for yourself. And I believe Federico says some things about Plex that Casey didn't agree with. And so we thought it would be fun just to uh, to talk about this a little bit uh, right now.
2: So, do you want me to just start, or do, Federico, would you
1: like an opening statement of any sort, or should we just we, should we just start tangoing? Yes, please allow me the opening statement, which is: I think I said that. Especially if you're a parent and you uh, you want to manage this collection, this library of video files, so you don't want to pay for a lot of content, it makes sense to use Plex. But I also said, for someone like me, for personal usage, I think there's too much overhead. And I don't feel like I want to manage this library all the time. Um, and after listening to the show, uh, you said on Twitter that you had many thoughts, <laughs> many comments. Um, so I really, I mean, I, 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 I'm still not gonna use Plex, but I really want you to change my mind. So uh, please, yeah, let me know. So here's the thing, kids. Um, Plex
2: is... Kids, <laughs> it's a really great Plex stuff. is... <laughs> it, it is what you make of it, right? And if you're the kind of person that, that purchases all your content from streaming services, for example, if you... Or if you purchase your stuff through iTunes, which the video is still DRM'd, Plex is probably not for you. So if you're all in on Netflix, if you're all in on Amazon Prime Video, if you're all in on iTunes, full stop, Plex is probably not right for you. What Plex is right for is... If you are a super nerd like me and Jason Snell, actually, and you like to buy Blu-rays and then rip them and then keep them locally because uh, Blu-rays, while much higher fidelity, are impossibly slow to load and use. In fact, just a week or two ago, uh, we were going to show Declan, uh, our son, Beauty and the Beast, for the first time, the original one. And I put in the Blu-ray and within 30 seconds deeply regretted not just watching it on Plex because there's so much cruft and BS to go through. It's preposterous. But I I am already dating myself as an old man by talking about physical media. So let's talk about Plex. So what Plex allows you to do is it allows you to set up, like Federico said, a library that has all your video, all your music, all your photos, if you so desire, and, and all of your stuff in this library. And I use it pretty much exclusively for video. And I also thought before I really started to understand Plex that it was a lot of maintenance and super tough to get it to work the way you would want it to work. As it turns out, it's really not that bad at all. In fact, it's really quite simple. If you have a folder on your network attached storage or even on your own local computer, if you have a folder for movies, a folder for TV shows and a folder for music, you're already halfway there. After you have a folder per kind of content, then you would just drop that content in. So, for example, in my movies folder is just a bunch of MP4 files. The only thing that's a little bit um, not dodgy, but but particular that, about Plex is that you do have to name the file a certain way. And so in the case of, since I already brought it up, Beauty and the Beast, uh, you would have to title it the way... That the movie database, which is not IMDb, mind you. It's a different, completely free database. The way that the, mm-hmm. the movie database, which is the themoviedb.org, the way it titles it. So in the case of Beauty and the Beast... It would be the file name would be Beauty and the Beast space open parenthesis 1991 which is the release year close parenthesis. That's it. That's all you need to do. So when you're ripping these files or when the files fall off the back of a truck or what have you, all you need to do is go to the movie database, figure out what year it came out, and how the movie database calls it. Is there a colon or is there? Is it the Beauty and the Beast, the story of Belle, or something like that? You know, is it Fast and Furious Eight? Oh my God! They're still doing these. You, know, you have to figure out what the exact title is on the movie database, and once you do that, you add the year it was released, and you're done. That's all it takes. And then when Plex looks at your local f- uh, file system or or your remote file system in the case of NAS, when it looks at the file system and scans it, it will see okay, this is something in the movies folder. It's called Beauty and the Beast, and it's from 1991. And, and the reason you need the year is, how does it know the difference between the animated Beauty and the Beast and the one that came out a few weeks ago? So it'll say to itself, okay, Beauty and the Beast 1991, let's search the movie database and see what we can find. And sure enough, it'll find the poster, the title, the well, it has the title, the the, the cast, the description, all of that stuff. And it's all completely automatic. The same kind of thing works with music, although I don't ever pay attention to it on music because I actually am the only person that likes iTunes iTunes. Um, it does the same with TV shows. The only difference with TV shows is you would probably want to split it out by season. So you would have the TV folder, then Top Gear folder, and then season one, and then a bunch of files. So it would be Top Gear space, hyphen space, S01, E01 for the first episode of Top Gear, etc., etc. et cetera. It's super straightforward, but I completely agree with you, Vatichi. See, I should have listened to it again because now I'm not angry. Now I'm, now I'm empathizing with you, <laughs> and you made me so angry when I listened to it, uh, but anyway, it actually it's it seems super fiddly it really does on the surface but once you realize that the only thing you really need to do is just name your files in a a certain way then that's basically it now the one foster in the chat is saying i wish there was a way to say no 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 no. this is the wrong metadata there is a way to do that i will concede that it's a little bit clunky and it's a little bit hidden and i forget exactly how to do it offhand but there's a way to say to it no 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 this is not beauty and the beast 1991 it's beauty and the beast 2017 etc etc um so it it, it isn't a hundred percent perfect, but I'd say nine and a half times out of ten when I put a new media file in Plex, it figures everything out all by itself. so I have a couple other quicker thoughts about it, but any questions about that so far
1: yeah um how big is your library first question ah, that's a and good the second question. one is um, what kind of because i I guess one of my problems when i when I tried Plex was that my Uh, synology model didn't support uh, video transcoding whatever and so some videos actually played and others didn't so I think my problem was that I actually have the wrong or maybe an old model of a network attached storage system and so maybe my experience was made worse by my you know the the model that I have Uh, so I wanted to know what setup do you have at home that's a great
2: question and I'm glad you asked um with regard to the synology, um, there are synologies that do reasonably well with transcoding on the fly. So let me let me back up a half step. One of the things that's great about Plex is you can set it up so that your library is accessible through the internet. So you just tell Plex, you know, hey, I want to broadcast this to well to to known users on the internet. It's not to the whole internet, of course. But uh, yeah, you can share the library across the internet with only yourself, or you can do like Stephen and I have done and share it with each other. Um, But but what that allows you to do is Plex is smart enough to see, oh, this is an iPhone that is trying to view this episode of Top Gear, and it seems like it's not on a great connection. So let me try, instead of giving this full 1080 video file across the internet, let me crank it way back, so maybe it's 720, or maybe it's even standard def, because that's all that the iPhone's connection can handle, and that's what the transcoding is, Um, and so what'll happen is, as you play a file with any of the Plex clients, Apple TV, iOS, etc., it will try the server will try to transcode to whatever's best for that client on the fly and on a network attached storage device like a synology that's a lot to ask for a, mm-hmm. a, a device that really doesn't have a strong cpu i ran into the exact same thing with my synology i happen to have a, a ds1813plus it is nowhere near strong enough for live transcoding now If you pre-transcode, which is way more fiddly than anyone would ever want it to be, and it's what I do because I'm a super nerd, but Federico, you are normal and you would not want, well, in this context anyway, (laughs) and you would not want anything to do with the pre-transcoding. But if you put it in an Apple-friendly format up front, I think it'll be okay on the Synology. But if you just want to like drop an MKV in there and have it work, then I wouldn't recommend using most network-attached storage devices. So what I do to answer your question is my iMac is my Plex server. And I just have the Synology mounted as a network drive, and that allows me to have all my media on the Synology, but do all the transcoding on the oh. iMac. And then, and then to answer your question earlier, my video folder is 2 terabytes, and that includes movies, TV shows, etc. And it has 1,500 files.
1: You have a Mac in the middle that is basically always on and does the transcoding for you while the big storage, the heavy storage, is on the Synology. That is clever. That's exactly right.
2: Now it's not the best way in the world, but it does get, well, it's not the best in terms of it's a lot of moving parts, but it does get the job done really nicely. And I know if you're like iOS only, that may not work for you, but there's a, another piece of follow-up I wanted to mention is that Mike had said, oh, Plex will never die because they don't have the storage requirements that say an EverPix did or a Google Photos did. And this is 95% accurate. It's, it, I'm going to be a little bit pedantic here, but Plex does offer a cloud-based server solution. And this is where your, your ears should perk up, Federico. So what you can do is you can say to Plex, I want the Plex server to live in the cloud. It'll be one of your servers, but I want it to point at my media. And obviously that means your media has to be in the cloud. So you can point it, and I might have the details wrong, I haven't looked at this in a few weeks, but you can point it at like uh, maybe Amazon or Dropbox or certainly Google Drive, and you can say, hey, all my media is in my Google Drive, you deal with the server, so so that means you have no Plex server running locally. I mean, your, your media isn't even local. It's just you're tying these cloud services together on your behalf. So when Mike said, well, there's no cloud storage component, eh, there is a cloud storage component, but he's still pretty much right because I'm the one that would be paying for that hypothetically, not Uh, not plex so he's still right in the grand scheme of things and if you don't have multi 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 terabyte libraries that might be a really really great solution for someone like federico who has no interest in running a mac just to transcode video from time to time so you should look into it my final thought though and if this is actually a question which i'm scared to ask on (laughs) on the air but i'm i'm an amateur so i'll do so what is in my library that's so darn crazy because everyone was like there's madness in there here be dragons
0: Just trolling. Okay, that, that's I, all. I,
2: well, I can, I, you never know because I mean I have some weird taste of music. I have weird taste of movies, so I was curious if you could if you were going to like uh, tell me that Flight of the Navigator is like a, a, an odd choice oh, or something like that.
0: That's the that is uh, of people of our age that oh, that movie has so a special good. place in our heart.
2: So good. Anyway, that's pretty much all I had on Plex. So I appreciate you giving me uh, a place to air my grievances, even though it's not Festivus. Well, that was
1: actually that was actually very fascinating. Uh, I mean, I I, I kind of get it, like. Uh, once you have the naming scheme set up uh, and you take care of transcoding, it's actually pretty sweet because you can have, I mean, two terabytes. Uh, Imagine, I mean, buying all of those movies again, digitally, would cost you a lot of money. So especially if you have kids, I, I mean, I understand why. Um, for someone like me, like I, I just want to have my iPad and say, well, I have some TV shows here. I have some movies here. Just let me watch them. Uh, And I think my problem, my bad experience was caused by the kind of old synology that I have. Very slow Mm -hmm. CPU, Mm -hmm. doesn't do transcoding. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I still think it's going to be a little too much for me. but thank you for the details, because that is especially when, you know with the Mac in the middle, because the, also these two guys on the show, they want me to buy a new Mac and they've been pushing for you know you should. not you too. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they've been pushing for a Mac mini, you know that kind of computer. So maybe I should consider it maybe I don't know. We'll see. I think I think you should look at it. But I completely agree with you
2: that it it, it is a little bit of management. But I think the community, not just you, Federico, but the community overblows how much management it, it really requires. And there are now as of a few weeks ago, there are options for people who want to go iOS only. They're not stupendous because that means you would have to pay a lot of money for a lot of google drive space or what have you but at least it's an option so anyway uh you should check it out and uh, you know federico if you say it's not for me now that you understand a little better that's cool but when when you were uh throwing those barbs last week about how oh it's so <laughs> difficult oh it's terrible uh, I, I could not suffer through this anymore my friends so i, I feel better now i can rest easy all right
0: well, Casey, thanks for joining us. Real quick, before we let you go, where can people find you online?
2: Sure, uh, you can find me on Twitter at CaseyList. That's C A S E Y L I S S. That's CaseyList. Uh, so you can uh, find my website, which has a few Plex-related posts on it. I'll try to remember to send some for the show notes. Uh, you can find my website at CaseyList.com.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, buddy.
2: Thanks, guys. I'll Talk to you later,
0: Federico. We're gonna move on with follow-up. All right, are you prepared? Okay. Are you? Pre- I, we actually don't actually don't have that much. Uh. I wanted to point people to the Mac Power Users episode that you were just on. Uh, you spoke to Dave Nakedi about um, something called the iPad. Mm. I'm not I'm real familiar this, with this. It's uh, this
1: kind of big iPhone that Apple is selling now. Uh, they're kind of mm. trying to convince people to use it as a computer. I still think it's kind of a, you know, it's not going to happen, uh, you know. Um, so they, they had me on the show to talk about how the iPad is terrible. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we just went for two hours on how this doesn't make any sense. Uh, and also, if you listen to the episode, you will realize that it's actually the opposite of what I just said. It was super fun time. We talked mm. about workflows. We talked about iPad apps. We talked about the limitations of iOS. We discussed those as well. And we... What else? We talked about file management on on the iPad, uh, which is kind of a fun topic. Uh, i also gonna <laughs>
0: fun and air quotes. Yeah, I'm also gonna
1: follow up on that this week. I think on Mac Stories with more file management. Uh, it was fun. David and Katie are always uh, excellent hosts, and uh, we had yes. a great time on on MPU.
0: Good. I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed listening to it. Uh, I wanted to uh, point people also to episode 253 of the Pen Addict, uh, which if you don't listen to the Pen Addict, it's not your thing. Uh, I totally understand. Uh, but Mike and I were just in Atlanta, uh, so uh, every year the Kickstarter, uh, there's a Kickstarter for the Pen Addict community to send Brad and Mike to Atlanta. This year they're going to do a couple other pen related events uh, in the U.S. And we they did a live show with like 70 people in the audience. So if you came. If you were there, thank you so much for coming. It was a lot of fun to hang out with everybody this weekend. And we're putting a video together for those Kickstarter backers. So if you're a Kickstarter backer of the Panatic, that'll be out uh, in the coming weeks. And it's just, um, it's always fun. It really reminded me of, of our WBDC events. You know, it's fun being out, uh, kind of in the world, doing a show and in front of people and meeting listeners and, and hanging out with people. So always, uh, always a lot of fun, uh, and lastly, and I know, Federico, you're going to be really sad about this, uh, Apple Music has delayed mm. the uh, starting of Carpool, Carpool it's Karaoke. A bummer.
1: I was actually, and I'm, and I'm actually serious. I, I wanted to see what Apple did with this. And they said it was coming in April. Now it's not coming in April anymore. And they gave an, uh, a very n- non-specific release date of later this year. So... Uh, it's kind of strange because from the footage that they showed a while back, it seemed like the sh- the show had been, you know, uh, shot. It was edited, it was rated, there was a trailer. But maybe they actually needed more time or maybe they're shooting more episodes. We don't know. Uh, anyway, it's uh, not coming this month. Uh, probably not coming next month either Uh, later this year God knows what it means Uh, and you know as a quick aside I just saw a couple of days ago on the Italian television that we're also going to get our own Italian version of Carpool Karaoke same name different hosts and from the trailer there were a couple of Italian rappers uh, driving cars around Rome and Milan it's actually quite promising so I'm (laughs) going to check it out because I want to see how badly (laughs) Italian Production can ruin this format. So, oh, you know, no. <laughs> so well, I will, I will follow up on this uh, Italian Italian take on Carpool Karaoke. Uh, I think next week or maybe in two weeks. I don't know hmm. when it airs. But yeah, the Apple one, we don't know when it's coming.
0: Yeah, it, it's weird, right? Because at Code Media in February, Eddie Q said, "Hey, it's coming in April." Uh, apparently, there was supposed to be a launch party in March in LA, and it was postponed just a couple of days before it was set to take place. So, it really seems like they were pretty far into this, and you know, maybe they had some some terrible thing take place to uh, to take it off the rails. It really seems like they were on their way, right? It's not like it's still in the planning stages. Yeah,
1: I mean, there were trailers yeah, and, and you know um, singers and. Pop stars driving cars. I mean, it was done from the trailer. Uh, but then maybe something happened. Maybe they're shooting it again because they want to change the cars. Maybe it's not going to be, you know, people driving. Maybe it's going to be a self-driving car with people in it. You know, maybe.
0: Oh, there you go. Project Titan meets carpool Maybe it's Eddie
1: Q <laughs> driving with the singers in the back seat. It's kind of like a like an uncle driving them while they're singing. I don't know. Could be anything, really
0: did it, it really that's that's a whole lot of ideas <laughs> so we're going to move into topics but first i want to tell you about our first sponsor and that is our friends at encapsula encapsula is a multi-function content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website protects it from denial of service attacks and secures it from bad guys all while ensuring high availability over one hundred thousand organizations trust encapsula every day these are everyone from huge Fortune 500 companies like MacStories to single one-person websites like 512pixels. It doesn't matter who you are and Capsula can protect you. They all have the resources you're ever going to need to help your website load quickly, even if something bad is going on. And they have a 24-7 operations team, so you have additional help there if you need it. You get personal account management and the best service level agreement in the business. You don't have to worry because Encapsula, they've got this. Put simply, you're going to be well protected and your site is going to be lightning fast. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to Encapsula.com connected. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot connected. That's where you can find out more about Encapsula service and also claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Federico. Topics. We, we got some topics this week, and we're going to start out uh, on Apple's Earth Day. Um, you know, Earth Day is a thing that happens every year, and more and more, it feels like companies are using it to uh, put forward their environmental policies and their um, their goals. And, and Apple is definitely at the forefront of that. And uh, they did a couple things, right? So they they updated their environmental page. They published uh, their supplier responsibility report for 2017. There's links to all this in the show notes. And they put out uh, four uh, ads in there. They're on YouTube. We'll have links again. You can go watch them all. And the, I think the videos are great. They are uh, animated. Um, they got voiceover. They're really fun to watch. And... There's basically kind of four, uh, four different messages here. And the first one is about uh, Apple Park, so the big spaceship campus, which um, by all accounts they're starting to move into now. Uh, that building is designed to use uh, as little uh, HVAC, as little uh, air conditioning as possible. And they're doing this by bringing in outside air and they have like cool water running and basically using the building as a type of radiator to keep things cool. It's really pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating setup uh, where um, they're basically. uh, It's based on the idea that uh, humans, especially in work environments, they tend to perform much better if there's direct sunlight and natural air. Uh, So instead of having uh, this AC going all the time, they uh, they worked with the Norman Fosters, uh, the you know the company who did the architectural design and. For Apple Park to make sure that the very uh, unique shape of the of the building would ensure uh, combined with these uh, flows of uh, cool water into the cement itself of the structure would create this natural cooling, and combined with the you know with the with the all glass. Uh, outside walls uh, would create this natural sort of environment with direct sunlight, uh, natural cooling, and it doesn't feel like living and living and working in a traditional office. You know, with the AC and with the fake lights. You know, uh, yeah. I think I cannot imagine. I honestly, I've been thinking about this. Like, what kind of feeling uh, could it be of working in this big? a ring shaped building that it feels like you're actually outside and I'm really curious to visit as a as a tourist and and see to if it's possible to get an idea of what it feels like it sounds very very intriguing to me
0: yeah i think so cuz there you know there's there was a report out a couple of weeks ago that apple has like basically bought every tree you can plant uh within you know hundreds and hundreds of miles it's actually hard to find trees to plant now in that part of california cuz apple has bought them all and it's going to be a space that's dominated by nature. And so you're right. The building is sort of transparent to the outside in these ways. And, and you know, you look out this, this huge floor-to-ceiling windows and you just see, you know, an, an orchard of trees and you feel the breeze. Uh, it seems like it's kind of the opposite of my office, which is basically a concrete bunker uh, mm-hmm. in which I've blacked <laughs> out the windows and have air conditioning. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> I don't want to see sunlight. Please go That's away. right. Get rid <laughs> of it. Uh,
0: the second video um, is not... It struck me as the the odd the oddball out a little bit that it is more about Apple's products and testing them to make sure they say safe for the environment and safe for for people but they really talk about people and the the story here is that Apple makes its own fake human sweat to test products with mm, so which gross. is kind of gross. <laughs>
1: Yes, it is. And, but I guess the idea is uh, that because Apple wants to make sure that their products are durable and that people j- don't just throw them away every couple of years, uh, well, what is one of the first source of damage and wear on Apple devices? Where it's sweat because you're actually wearing them, especially with the Apple Watch, with the AirPods. Uh, human sweat is, you know, one of the primary factors to, you know... Uh, causing damage and wear and tear on on electronic devices. So instead of having people sweat and collect all of the human sweat every day, they actually recreated their own fake sweat and to uh, analyze the conditions that these devices are subject every single day. It's very fascinating. uh, But just looking at the pictures, I mean, it's... it's, it's quite something, you know. I wonder if it also smells like human sweat. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. Does it really is like is it really like human sweat or is it like it's water but there's some particles inside that make it behave like sweat? Uh that is super fascinating, you know. It's recreated in their own labs. Um kind of weird but also kind of genius, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think about uh the Apple Watch in particular, being something that people wear when they work out, you know, it's different than when Apple was just making Macs, right? Like usually, you don't right. sweat all over your iBook. Oh, well, usually. Usually. <laughs> uh, but the Apple Watch, you know, it's designed for working out. The phones now are water and People run with their phones. You have uh, not only headphones, but you have uh, the AirPods, and you have some of the Beat stuff with some of you know, like the the Power Beats and the Beats X, kind of marketed and designed for working out in to a degree. This is a thing they're dealing with now. And so, of course, they are, uh, you know, actually testing it. It's just weird to think about.
1: Yeah, it is, especially after looking at the pictures.
0: Yeah, I can't. They can't be unseen. Uh, mm. The The third one was about solar farms. Uh, this is something that Apple has talked about in the past. These, uh, It's like a 40-megawatt solar farm in China, and mm. they are using land that is used for... Uh, Yak farming is far I don't know if farming is the right word. Uh raising yak, you know, um and artisanally raised handcrafted yaks. And they are <laughs> they're building the solar farms in a way that the land is dual use. So the, the solar panels are way up high. They don't block yeah. all the sun, so there's still sun on the grass for the yak to eat, uh because yaks like grass apparently, and it's <laughs> just do. repurposing this land.
1: Yeah. Um Apple has been a big proponent of these solar farms. And I think uh, they said that in their uh, North Carolina server farm, they uh, they are at the third solar installation, uh, which of course explains... Uh, well, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but uh, Apple's Lisa Jackson, uh, she told John Gruber on the talk show uh, that w- whenever you're sending an iMessage or making a FaceTime call, the electricity that you use is... Um, Apple is driving the electricity back into the server farm and uh, into the grid uh, with their solar farm installations, which is super fascinating. But also, this needs to be explained, and it's quite complex. Uh, my understanding is that Apple, they don't necessarily have uh, solar panels providing electricity straight to the servers, to the server farms that they have. Right. But what Apple wants to do is they know the precise amount of power and electricity that they take from the grid. So what they want to do is they want to build enough um, renewable energy sources and solar farms to put back at least the same amount, if not more, of the power that they're taking from the grid back into the grid for other companies and other people to use, and maybe even Apple itself, but that depends on how the grid you know, allocates power. Um, so... It is a fascinating approach. So they're basically saying, even if we don't have a direct plug from the solar panels into the server that you know powers iMessage, we know how much we consume, and we want to put that amount of electric- electricity and power back into the grid for other people. Which I think it's kind of fair as an approach.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's basically what they're saying. Is you know, it, it's not like we have an extension cord. Plugged into yeah. the back of the Apple store. <laughs> right. It's yeah. it's about offsetting what they use. And um the the thing that really uh gets me with that is that they are very careful on how they measure that. Again, we're we're getting ahead a little bit, but you know, Lisa Jackson's saying we know exactly how much we're using and mm. we reconcile it at the end of the year. So if our estimates probably, are off we're correct for it.
1: Probably a huge numbers spreadsheet uh shared yeah. with iCloud. With the, Yo, the we, numbers. <laughs>
2: what
0: could go wrong? <laughs> no, please don't do that. Please don't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also spoke
0: about uh, a, what they're what what is called a closed loop supply chain. And basically what this means is, you know, right now, if you go buy a new iPhone, there are parts of that phone that have been recycled from other phones or other material. But there are a lot of parts in that phone, a lot of components, a lot of materials used that are new, that were mined from the earth. Uh, and... They may get recycled on the other end, but the, w- Apple is still taking things from nature to create our devices. Uh, and the idea with a, uh, a closed-loop supply chain is that Apple never has to go back to those raw materials. They don't have to mine. They don't have to pull these things from nature. That every new iPhone is created with com- with uh, material that is 100% recycled from their previous products. Is that a clean way of explaining it?
1: Yeah. Uh, The idea is that, uh, like you said, instead of mining, uh, new devices will essentially be made by old devices and from other recycled materials. It's the idea of reusing and recycling. Instead of fetching new materials from the earth, uh, you want to take what has been discarded so Apple can use their uh, Liam robot to disassemble iPhones and to take the materials, combine that with other recycled materials, such as aluminum from other companies for example, or glass from uh, other, you know, recycling uh, companies, take that and make new devices out of those recycled materials instead of going back to a mine in, you know, South Africa and extracting uh, the, uh, you know, the, the materials that you need. It's a this is a long-term plan. Apple said, we're not going to uh, accomplish this overnight. It's going to take us years, but this is the direction, this is sort of uh, the north start that we want to follow. Uh, the end goal that we want to accomplish is this. We want to have a closed-loop supply chain where no new material is fetched from the ground, uh, but instead... Uh, everything is reused and recycled. And they provided, I think, an example of how the, in, the, in the Chinese facilities where they're assembling the iPhones, they made these custom Mac minis to monitor the, uh, the, the, the facility. And those Mac minis were made from iPhone 6 parts. So the old iPhone 6 devices, they disassembled those, they took the aluminum, the glass, whatever, maybe the plastic, and they used those materials to make Mac minis to oversee the making of new iPhones. So it's a, this sort of a virtual cycle of old devices making new devices that help making new devices from recycled materials. It's... Um, it's a lot to wrap your head around, you know, especially at this kind of scale when you're talking 70 million iPhones and, you know, now we need to recycle all of those. But it's a very uh, laudable initiative, I think, from Apple. Uh, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to happen in, in a year. It's not like WWC 2018 going to be like, hey, did you stop mining the earth, by the way? I think it's going to take, a, you know, a decade maybe. Uh, but I'm confident, you know, with, the, with these people, uh and with this team uh that apple will will get there
0: yeah absolutely um and and lisa jackson we've talked around this a little bit was on the talk show episode 188 uh if if you're not familiar she is the vice president of environment policy and social initiatives uh, at apple she was during obama's first term the head of the epa here in the u.s uh she's an engineer uh, by trade uh incredibly intelligent and she has really been leading the way at apple on these new policies and these new goals. The podcast is about an hour long. Uh, it's easy to listen to. I think, uh, John did a good job uh, with the interview and it's talking through these videos and these initiatives, some other stuff in there. Like, um, they have, um, protected a bunch of, uh, forest area in China to again to offset their use of, uh, paper in their packaging, uh, but they're at like 99% recycled and responsibly sourced paper in their packaging. Now they're moving to all paper packaging, getting rid of other uh, less friendly uh, materials in their packaging. And if you've, if you've unboxed anything recently, you, you have seen that there's no plastic clings anymore. It's all like this weird, like waxy paper and mm-hmm. uh, they keep moving forward on that. Uh, but the big point that I left with is uh, that the, the The statement that renew that renewable energy and recycling aren't financially viable for corporations, um, how that's a pretty dumb argument. Yeah. And we've seen that, and we're not we're not going to get political. I'm gonna try not to get political, uh, but that's been um, something that we've seen uh, very recently here in the U.S. Of, hey, you know, we need economic growth and we need environmental protection, but there are people who believe uh, those in the wrong order. That we have to get rid of this regulation. So, you know, once companies can be profitable, then they'll protect the environment on their own. And really Apple is really one of the only companies that does that. And they are proving, and Gruber said this in the show, that Apple is the most uh, the biggest company on the planet, right? They're the the most profitable and they have the you know the decision making all the way at the top to do this stuff. And so if Apple can do it yeah. and maintain their ridiculous margins, then it's a it's a model how other companies uh, could do it basically and and things like climate change and renewable energy should not be partisan. They should be something that everyone is doing and the corporations and I like that that uh, Lisa Jackson said this the corporations have a responsibility in that, right that Apple is going well above and beyond the regulation uh in the u s and places like China because they feel like it's the right thing to do and um I just I don't know I really I really enjoyed the interview. Yeah
1: yeah uh, and, uh, you know uh Lisa Jackson, she made those excellent points on how corporations uh shouldn't believe that uh, you know uh the renewable energy is not a priority and uh like you said we uh, we don't want to get political, but it's one of those things that at least in my mind, it just seems to make sense right uh I mean when if you're cold in your house uh do you you, you could set fire to the house? It would be warm, it would be hot, uh, but then you wouldn't have a house anymore because you'd <laughs> just burn it down. And instead you use a radiator, which is a renewable ener- energy source that you can reuse over time to be warmer instead of just setting fire to the entire house. And that is the idea with the Earth. You know, we're being, we've been given this planet and we've been destroying this planet for thousands of years. Now we have the skills, we have the money, and we have the knowledge to... Uh, sort of funnel different energy sources into different systems to make power to make energy and we should use those uh because they're you know uh, they're awesome and they don't actually kill this planet uh so we don't have to move to Mars with Elon Musk uh which i mean it's totally fine if you want to go to Mars with Elon uh probably going to be awesome but you know it's kind of kind of a long trip um so I mean, listen to the interview, because she, Lisa Jackson and John, they did an excellent job to to explain this stuff, which is very, very complex stuff, you know, to think about, especially uh, for big corporations like Apple. And, uh, you know, especially when you start talking about the financial opportunity for a company combined with the ethics aspect, uh, when you start mixing, well, what is the, the return on investment on this, but how do you reconcile that with the ethical uh, sort of, Uh, standpoint with the with the you know with with the company that says we're a company we need to make money but we're also made of people and we have values so it's a very fascinating discussion you should listen to that it's just an hour
0: yep so uh we're going to move on uh to our next topic but first i want to tell you about our second sponsor this week and that is blue apron the number one recipe delivery service they have the freshest ingredients for less than ten dollars per meal Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious, home-cooked meals. Blue Apron's mission is simple. They want to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while also supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Blue Apron's seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch, Their beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals, and their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. Every Blue Apron meal comes with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe cards and pre-proportioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. With Blue Apron, you're going to learn not just how to cook those recipes, but how to cook in general. Following their recipe cards is going to teach you new cooking skills that you'll be able to use every day. With Blue Apron, you can choose from a variety of new recipes each week, and no recipes are repeated within a year. You'll be able to cook meals like mushroom and Swiss cheeseburgers with roasted rosemary potato wedges, spicy chicken sandwiches with Alabama white sauce and sweet potatoes, and lots more. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental United States. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. You don't have to worry if you're going to be out of town or something that you're going to have food going to waste. And their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they will make it right. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com connected. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. Visit blueapron.com connected. We thank Blue Apron for their support of this show and relay FM. Blue Apron: a better way to cook.:
1: So Uber did some bad things, and Tim Cook got upset. This is my summary.
0: It's a good TLDR. This came out in The New York Times uh, over the weekend that the uh, a, a, some version of Uber, the Uber app for iPhone in the past was identifying and tagging iPhones, and they were doing it in a way that persisted across. Uh, the app being deleted, and even the iPhone being restored, so iOS being put back on it fresh. And uh, we're going to talk about the article itself um, in a minute because the article was a little problematic. But, but basically how it seems this is going on is that Uber was using something called Iokit, which is uh, was part of iOS and has since basically been um, shut down, has about iOS 9. And they were using it to pull identifiable information about iPhone hardware. And they were doing this initially to fight scamming of their service in China. Uh, basically, in China, people would set up like dummy accounts and basically set, be reporting rides that weren't happening. And drivers are doing this to, to get more money out of Uber. And they said, look, you know, we can say, you know, mm-hmm. these 10 accounts were all created on one iPhone. It's probably a scam. We can cut it down. Um, Iokit used to report things like serial number, IMEI, and even MAC addresses. But my understanding is that yeah. at least since iOS 9, those are return null. Yeah. So that, that information is not visible to developers. And so this puts Uber's mistake in the past, right? This isn't something that's going on now, uh, at least via this method, because this method is really no longer valid. Is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, it's something that they did, I think, at least uh, three years ago. And the Times, uh, I think Mike Isaac wrote the story. He talked to 40 to 50 uh, old and current uh, Uber employees. And this is just an anecdote from three years ago. Uh, I think late 2014, Apple discovered what what, what uh, Uber was doing and they summoned, um, what's the guy's name, Travis Kalanick? Um, yeah, to Their CEO. To Infinite Loop and, to <laughs> and Tim Cook. Uh, gave him a very stern talking <laughs> to either fix the problem and what they've been doing to circumvent uh, Apple's policies or they would get Uber out of the app store. But also we should mention that it wasn't just that Uber was um, uh, using these private APIs to identify iPhones, uh, but there were they had implemented uh, a way to not be caught by Apple. So they were using a geofence uh, that basically if you were uh, an Apple employee on the App Store review team, uh, Uber had a geofence around the area of Cupertino and Infinite Loop that would basically hide that portion of code to Apple's app review uh which is kind of clever but also against the rules and uh, yeah. <laughs> the st- the story reports that uh, eventually uh employees from outside of Cupertino because of course Apple has you know many offices and i and i would assume that up review as several teams around the world uh they uh you know those outside of the geofence they saw the code they told Apple back in the US and that that is when Tim Cook found out and had the talk with the uh, with the Uber CEO. Uh, there's also another aspect to this story, which is the New York Times reporting is really quite something uh, because the story got changed after publication. So initially, the Times had printed uh, that Uber was tracking users and tracking means you can track a person, you can monitor in the background even after the app has been deleted, deleted the real-time movement and positions of a user and an iPhone, which is basically impossible because if an app has been deleted, where is the logic, you know, the actual code doing the tracking? Um And later the story was uh, changed to say that Uber had been secretly identifying and tagging iPhones even after the app had been deleted and the devices erased. And that is, I believe, more accurate because Uber was using this piece of code that gets left behind even after the app has been deleted. And upon reinstallation, the app can say, well, is this piece of code present on these devices? Well, well it means that the app was already installed at some point in the past, which I think is what Uber had been doing. Uh, and I tend, to, I tend to believe that maybe the times, uh, you know, the, the technical bits of this story were a little over their heads. Uh, and so, sure. therefore, the confusion.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And it's that it doesn't really excuse it. Like if you're reporting on this, sure. you should at least talk to somebody who could clarify that. But um the the thing that that I kind of walk away from this, A, this is like the talking in the chat room, like this is another item on a very long list of terrible things Uber has done. Yes. <laughs> like this CEO, this company's out of control yeah. in a lot of different areas. Pretty much. And super gross. Um but when this came out over the weekend, um, you know, my thought was, why didn't Apple kick him out of the store, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get a sit-down warning with Tim Cook and saying, "Look, uh, you got to cut this out, and you got to deal with this, or we're going to remove you." And I don't think a smaller developer would have gotten that courtesy, no. right? That if you if you're an indie app developer and you're doing this and you're caught, uh, my guess is Apple would just remove you and until you you know you fix it. And, uh, but obviously Lyft is not a small company. It's not a small developer. It's, it's not a small app. And so I, I when to Twitter on Sunday, I said, Apple should have kicked them out. Like Apple should have drawn a hard line. And I got a lot of, uh, responses to that. And I kind of wanted to address some of them here. Um, you know, things like, well, people will switch to Android, uh, people have switch to Lyft, you know, Apple would have lost the PR battle and I think some of those have merit. I think it would have probably driven adoption of Lyft. And so maybe you have Apple tinkering in a industry. Um, An industry, by the way, that you point out in our show notes, Apple already has a, a perceived conflict of interest in because Apple invested yeah. in Didi, which is a ride-sharing service in China, yeah. where Uber... Uh, pulled out of the market, Mm -hmm. by the way. (laughs) Yeah, because they were basically
1: Um, bleeding money (laughs) uh, against Didi, which is the de facto standard in, you know, the the most popular uh, service in China. And now Uber is trying to approach India with the same strategy, but, you know, who knows. Uh, But this difference in, uh, you know, Apple... Uber, the courtesy of a meeting. This is basically politics, right? If you're a normal person and you slap someone in the face on the street, you get arrested. But if you're the leader of a country and you threaten to nuke another country, you get a meeting with the diplomats. So this is how politics work. The bigger you are, the, le- the fewer consequences you get. And of course, Uber, being the huge company that it is, uh, they didn't get pulled from the app store. Uh, they got a meeting with Tim Cook. And I mean, of course, Tim Cook was angry, I can imagine. Uh, but it's usually when it, when it comes to, you know, the, these big corporations, they tend to work their issues out behind the scenes. And it reminds me of when Facebook, for example, uh, got caught... Um, uh, last year, I did the article on the battery consumption of the Facebook app, and uh, as you can imagine, the most popular social network in the world, it didn't get pulled from the app store. I can only imagine there were meetings occurring behind the scenes between Apple and Facebook trying to resolve the, this issue amicably, you know, instead of making a big fuss of Facebook being pulled from the app store. Because even if Apple is right, uh, and even if, if, it, if it's kind of terrible to say this, but even when you're right, even when you, you when you have your own guidelines uh, supporting your your uh, your position, it is bad PR to remove an incredibly popular app from the App Store. Uh, and this is when it gets tricky because we're talking of corporations, each with their own best interests in mind, and they're all trying to make money. But they also have values, which goes back to what we're actually talking about, you know, renewable energy sources just a few minutes ago. How do you reconcile that? And usually with these big companies, the solution is you get the leaders to talk privately behind the scenes with no reporters. And most of the time the issues are resolved. Uh, But it doesn't surprise me. You know, Uber is... Basically a terrible company, uh, which is unfortunate because it's such a great idea, but it's run by, I don't even know how to describe them. And so this profile on the, on the New York Times, uh, it seemed to me like it was a profile of a, of a deeply uh, disturbing company run in a very odd way but this tim cook anecdote and this apple story uh it was the central point it was what a lot of people were sharing uh especially on twitter and other websites also because you know there are uh, you know the story describes the the all the problems with the with the uber management but we've seen in the past several months many more terrible stories of uber employees being harassed uh and you know the the problems with diversity at uber so i want to say this thing with the iPhone app, probably the least offensive Uber uh, thing Uber has done. Seriously, they've done worse. Uh, it does. I'm not condoning it, but it's just you know, I'm not surprised by Uber anymore, honestly. Um, no, it, and it's I don't a know shame. what they would do that
0: would surprise me. <laughs> it's
1: it's a shame because it's such a great idea, but such a terrible company at the same time. So yeah, they did something to work around Apple and to. Try to fool Apple, but it doesn't really surprise me, honestly.
0: So let's talk about this iTunes affiliate thing. Mm. So, uh, yesterday, Apple sent an email out to anyone who is enrolled in the iTunes affiliate program. So, you can go and sign up, and you get a little code and you put it at the end of App Store links. And if someone clicks on that link from your website or tweet or something, you get a 7% commission on that purchase. It's been, how long has that been in place, Federico? Basically forever, right?
1: Uh yeah, I think so. I mean um I I'm, As long as I can
0: remember it's been there. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, there was a rebrand of the um of the affiliate program. Uh, I'm trying to think, I think it was four to five, probably four years ago. Uh used to be called I think Linkshare, maybe now some, it's something, uh, yeah. Now it's PHG from Performance Horizon Group. Uh, but yeah, uh, as long as I can remember, the iTunes affiliate program has been around.
0: So you got 7% from that purchase. It also accounted for in app purchases made. And this email yesterday went Apple saying uh, basically starting May 1st, so about a week from now, uh, that rate is going to go from 7% to 2.5%. Now, there are some mechanics that are here, here that are important to understand. This 7% came from Apple's cut. So if you sold an app for a dollar, the developer gets 70%. Apple gets 30% for running everything. And that 7% came from Apple's uh, 30. Now, I have no idea how big this program is. I don't think anyone does. But Apple's app store business is fine. It's healthy. It's growing. Uh, they, they brag about how much money they pay out to developers. I can't imagine that the 7% was making or breaking the App Store um, profit and loss line within Apple. And Apple's not a company, historically, that has had separate P&Ls for different things. And so th- that's one reason this is weird. The other reason it's weird is this is the short notice. But this money was not coming out of developers' pockets. It was coming out of Apple's pockets. And a lot of people are choosing to be optimistic and say, oh, well, maybe this is a precursor to Apple." you know, reducing that 30% commission. I'm not sure that's a thing that's going to happen. Um, but it's all very strange mm-hmm. and really not the best way uh, to handle this. And Federico, I know you write a website, you cover apps. Mm-hmm. I know you have thoughts on this. Yeah.
1: Well, we've been using affiliate links on Max Stories for, again, since the beginning. And they always made a sizable chunk of our revenue, but it's thankfully, especially in the past two to three years, we've been diversifying, so we don't rely on affiliate links uh, uh, so much anymore. Um, and to give you details, I, I want to say it's probably 10% of, of our business today, which is a you know a considerable 10%, but also we're not going to go bankrupt because Apple is changing the commission. But the problem, the way I see it is, Apple probably made this change because some Companies, I don't want to say they were abusing the system, but they were making too much money, uh, and I have reason to believe that. For example, when you when you share, uh, you know, uh, links to apps, for example, on Facebook or Twitter, or maybe it's when when uh, when those are actually ads. So uh, native uh, app install advertisements on Facebook. I'm pretty sure that either Facebook or Twitter uh, use affiliate links to get a commission on those ads. Uh, And so even if it's not Facebook or Twitter, I think there were other big players making a lot of money from these commissions. And I struggle to believe that Apple actually liked this idea. The problem is that to cut the commission only on apps, and so I've I've seen people wonder, but why apps? Uh, And again, I believe it's because Uh, native up-install ads are the most popular ones. You don't see native ads for music or podcasts or books. You see them for apps and games. The problem is that the smaller players like us or like other websites that rely only on affiliate link revenue, uh, they got caught in the process and there's going to be trouble for them, which is a shame because many of those websites... um, they actually provided a service either with reviews, with professional reviews written by, by great journalists or with discovery engines, with search features, with collections, with basically the curation and the search stuff uh, that Apple doesn't do so well on the App Store. And now those websites is going to be a problem for them. I saw yesterday on Twitter... Touch Arcade, for example, fantastic publication about iOS gaming. Uh, this is going to be a problem for them because they were relying on uh, revenue from the affiliate links to pay their staff. And also Afterpad, uh, this excellent website on iOS gaming and especially with a focus on tvOS. And they have an interface for browsing the tvOS app store, for example, way before Apple actually did a proper UI on the Apple TV. Um a lot of websites were depending on this commission to uh, either complement or base the revenue on. And now, you know, it's fine. Apple can do whatever they want. And I'm not going to say, well, out of principle, Apple should have never never lowered the commission. Uh, but there's ways and ways to do that and to basically cut the commission by 60, 65% with just a one-week notice. I'm I'm asking, is it really the best way to handle this? Uh, I mean, Hmm. at at least, you know, I think they shouldn't shouldn't have lowered the commission so much, and I would have preferred to see maybe a tiered structure where if you make more than X, you know, thousands of dollars every year, you get this uh, lower commission uh, if you make... Less money you get a higher commission, so there, there, there could have been ways to handle this to you know to differentiate between the smaller players and the big players, and especially the social networks that are actually rewriting the links to make a commission. but even aside from that problem, there should have been a longer notice you know it should there should it's just the more elegant and right thing to do we're talking about ethics today and it it doesn't strike me as really the best approach the best human approach to just send out an email to millions of members of the uh, maybe not even millions but thousands of members of the affiliate program and say oh by the way we're lowering the commission by 65 percent in a week good luck is it really the best approach i don't know i don't think so
0: the abruptness is really my problem with it. And that it wasn't even anything that, you know, they could have moved to a tiered system. They could have moved to, you know, something that stepped this down over time. And the fact that it wasn't done in conjunction with some other announcement, right? Like people are clamoring for the 30% to move down. It being just out on its own with a week's notice just feels really sort of crummy to me. It's, it's hard to understand.
1: Yeah. And, you know... Uh, it's going to be a shame if websites that, again, they were providing a service. um, They were helping people discover apps. And if those websites uh, now are forced to, you know, switch to heavy, ugly advertisements, or if they need to shut down, it's going to be a shame. And and it also seems kind of backwards to me to because Apple knows that a lot of websites depend on 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 those links to founder operations. And it seems backwards that those websites that drive people to download them, buy apps and recommend apps, now are going to have problems and they're not going to be able to recommend as many apps anymore if they shut down. So why would you destroy the goodwill among the community? And why would you force those websites to... Uh, a seriously downsize um, just because you want to cut the commissions on the bigger players that make millions of uh, affiliate link commissions every year. Um, again it's uh, it's one of those problems with uh, to to just to fix the problem with a couple of big companies now everyone is getting caught in this measure and now you know we're cutting the commission for everyone. Uh, it's a bummer, Uh, like I said uh, on Twitter yesterday also and my uh, my tweet was actually quoted on a bunch of websites, saying that now these websites like like Max Stories are going to have to implement ads or other types of sponsored content. Uh, personally, uh, personally, for Max Stories, we're not gonna do ads. We're not gonna do other, you know, the sponsored native advertisement type of stories. We're fine with our uh, subscriptions, with the memberships, and with the with the RSS sponsorship stuff. Uh, like I said, I. I always kept in the back of my mind the possibility that eventually Apple would change the commission. And that is why we expanded to other uh, revenue streams in the past couple of years, especially with the membership stuff on Club Mac Stories. But I also recognize that there are other websites that cannot do the same, that they have maybe smaller teams, they're sometimes even individual operations. Uh, and, and, and it's a shame that you know, now they're not going to be able to continue or they will have to switch to, I don't know, Google AdSense and maybe make a fraction of, of that revenue. Um, you know, it's, it's just sad, especially with the way that Apple dealt with, with this. I mean, a six-month notice, it would have been fine. It, it would have been a bummer still, but it would have been a human, uh, a proper way to treat other people. That's all I'm gonna say.
0: Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, and I, for one, I'm glad Mac stories will be will be okay. We have a lot of friends who that's not necessarily the case for today. So the um we got one more we got one more topic, a fun one. Hmm. You've done something new. We're gonna talk about um that I'm excited about. But first, we're gonna talk about our third sponsor, which is Text Expander from Smile. Text Expander for Teams is a productivity multiplier. You get a shared knowledge base to ensure your team communicates quickly and accurately. With Text Expander, all of your team's common replies, things they use every day can be worded by your best writers. They're all immediately accessible and searchable through simple abbreviations and keyboard shortcuts. The response they need will just be a couple of keys away, and any changes you need to make or Updated seamlessly in the background. You don't have to go around everyone's computer and say, hey, this is the new support copy. You just have it in Text Expander and everybody gets it. And what's great is that Text Expander is available on all the platforms your team may use, Mac, iOS, and now Windows. I've used Text Expander since I mean, it's like we're talking about the iTunes affiliate thing. As long as I can remember, it's part of my setup. It's a computer without Text Expander feels broken for me. And with the Text Expander for Teams, Mike and I and our assistant can all use the same type of language when working on emails or working with sponsors. And it means that we have a consistent and universal way of communicating uh, that is controlled centrally. And it's really great. And April was Text Expander's first anniversary. In that time, they have added team stats, group notes, public groups, monthly activity reports, a Windows app, tons of client software updates, and much more. It's been a very busy year for Text Expander. And we'd like to extend our congratulations to Smile and Text Expander for hitting this milestone, and we wish them every success in the coming years. You can support this awesome team, celebrate their anniversary, and get a great product by going to textexpander.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, last week, uh Federico, you and uh John introduced App Stories, mm-hmm. which is a new podcast that is part of the Growing Mac Stories Media conglomerate. <laughs> yeah,
1: you could call it that, I guess. It's our own small empire in my in my apartment. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it's fun. Uh, we, we've we been uh, working on this for the past year, really. And uh, actually, the AppStories domain, as I wrote on MacStories, uh, I originally bought it in 2010, so seven years ago. Because I always knew I wanted to, I wanted to do something with the name AppStories. I just never knew what that was going to be. I knew that I wanted to do something... Whether it was another blog or maybe, you know, I even actually considered uh, an interface for the App Store um, on the web. Uh, But I wanted to do something to cover and recommend and discuss apps more. But last year, um, I went to WWDC for the first time, I met John, and we started talking and it just... Seemed obvious to me that we share the same passion the same drive for uh, talking to developers engaging with the developer community and recommending apps to people on a regular basis i love apps i love discovering new apps and i love understanding how apps are made and i love discussing apps and talking back to the developers so they can make their apps better i'm just a huge fan of the app store as an idea um and so we started talking, and and we decided. Well, you know, I have this App Stories name uh, that's always been around. Why don't we make it a podcast? And so the idea was from the get go: this should be another MacStories property. This should be uh, like sort of like a sister site. You know, uh, there's MacStories.net, and there's going to be AppStories.net, and we can do some integrations between them. Um, and I talked to you guys about it, and it seemed obvious that it, you know, if I wanted to do something like that, uh, and with the, uh, it could not be. I don't want to say they couldn't have been possible on Relay but it just it made more sense to have it be a sister site to Mac Stories also because you totally. know we wanted to do a different form, uh, different format so like a 30 minute show we always with the same general topic which is the app store and apps we didn't want to do a news show we didn't want to do rumors uh, and so it made more sense to have it be you know this dual sort of setup with Mac Stories as a blog and App Stories as a podcast And and so we started discussing some of the ideas that we had. We knew that we wanted to have this 30-minute weekly show with a bunch of regular segments. Um, So, for example, we want to talk about our favorite apps, our personal stories, but we also want to engage with people. And so we thought it would be fun to have sort of like the the behind-the-scenes of apps or maybe some interviews with some app makers or designers developers whatever and we want to the general idea is we want to cover the impact of apps on our lives and on our economy from all points of views from the design the developer point of view from the personal point of view which is which is our own perspective on using apps and uh, And we also had the second priority, which is we, uh, of course, we need to make this a business. You know, when I was just talking about diversifying income, and this was another idea, you know, we can have the website, uh, we can also have the podcasts. But we knew that we wanted to have a way for indie developers to easily advertise their products, Uh, especially if you're an indie developer on a budget. We know we cannot ask you to pay us $10,000 for a sponsorship. So we wanted to have this affordable model where uh, indie developers, they have an app, they're about to launch an app, or maybe they have an app update and they want to advertise it to a great audience. Uh, so, we knew we wanted to have this b- very specific format for, just for them. And finally, I wanted to have, you know, because it's my stories and I have this. Thing for controlling all the tech behind the stuff that I do. Uh, sometimes it's a problem, but most of the time I think it's an advantage. Uh, we made this custom website. It's based on WordPress, but it actually, you know, it's so many modifications of, on top of WordPress to make it work as a podcast CMS. And alongside the, those um, customizations for the backend, we also did some things for the presentation of the podcast itself and the the two primary goals were we want to make the website uh, easy to, you know, people can get on the website and they can start playing an episode with just two taps. Uh, So we made this big, player (laughs) that you can easily tap on and start listening but most importantly I wanted to have a way for Mac Stories readers to find app stories and to start listening from the website they're already reading every day because many people have Mac Stories in their bookmarks and every morning or maybe during lunch breaks or in the evening they just open the Mac Stories homepage and they see what's new and I thought well there should be a way so that these people they're scrolling and they see an episode and they start playing the episode without having to switch websites and go to a different place so we made this uh this it's not even a plugin. it's a custom code that we did so we can embed an episode with a player as an embedded card on mac stories uh and when i talk of integrations between the two websites this is exactly what i have in mind so it's fun um and it just I guess I'm more of a I actually do more podcasts that I do that i that I, I have four podcasts and I have only two websites, so I'm more of a podcaster at this point than a website owner. maybe I don't know it's a,
0: it's always inevitable it's on, all, all bloggers become podcasters. eventually yeah yeah i uh first of all, congratulations uh it's been a lot of fun. I, I said this in my in my post to it the other day. It's been fun to watch you guys work on this and for the idea to evolve over time. And, you know, we've gotten some questions about why it's not on Relay. And I think I think you said it well that this is very much a sibling to Mac Stories. Yeah. And, you know, Connected is not is not as closely related to Mac Stories or even 512 pixels as this is to your site. And um, I, I think if you had, had just launched this on Mac Stories without a separate brand, I don't think anyone would have blinked an eye because the content is so obviously, um, you know, well-fitting with each other. Uh I will say that the um the the card player and what you've done on top of WordPress is is impressive. You know, relay runs on a custom CMS that we own and uh you know you showed me around the App Stories site a little bit and and what you guys have done, it, it really is it really is great. And I think that it it shows that if someone wants to do something like this and they don't need something out of the box, that there are options. Um uh, I'm curious though, what are your your goals with this? So you've talked about some of the type of content you're going to do, um, some personal app favorites, roundups, interviews, um, but where you know where do you see this going? Where do you want to push this uh, in the future?
1: Well, I think for sure what I want to do is I want to have more voices on the show I want to I want to have guests and I want to tell stories of people that you usually don't see in the spotlight and so we're gonna start with our first uh, guests very soon uh, but in general I want to you know, I want to go beyond the usual app names that you read on Mac Stories or that you see featured on the app store. So one of my goals is to give a a voice to people who make apps that you usually don't see or don't uh, read on tech publications. So, you know, whether it's a kid from India making apps or, you know, a studio from Amsterdam, whatever, I want to tell those stories. And also I want to... I want to find uh, kind of a kind of a rhythm, you know, when I, uh, and sort of. Uh that integration between Mac stories and app stories some of the ideas that I have involved. For example, uh, when I'm working on a on an app review, maybe there should be some tie to app stories as well. There should be some integration between the the written review and the audio version. So this idea of app stories being a complement to Mac stories and not just a, a different thing, but with a with a you know two distinct websites with the same foundation, that that, that is something that I want to explore in the future future uh, and and I also feel like the idea of having a short form podcast uh, it, it is for me a, a learning uh, opportunity uh, because one of my downsides is maybe that I tend to that I tend to describe every single detail in my articles and in the in the podcast that I that I'm on uh, I, I'm a perfectionist and I'm also uh, you know I Every time I write app reviews, I need to get every single detail out of my system. And that is why I prefer long form stories and app reviews because I I just cannot sleep seriously if I know that I missed a single detail in my in my coverage. And so to do a short form podcast is for me a way to force myself. And this is kind of the same that I'm doing with iPad diaries and Mac stories. It's a way to force myself to be more concise and to... Be okay with the idea of I cannot possibly cover everything, so I just i I should just focus on two points and make the best out of that um so I want to continue that because I think uh to be able to do both you know both the obsessive long form and the focused tight short form uh it'd be good for me as a as a content uh, creator if you will, yeah.
0: If you haven't checked it out, we'll have links in the show notes. Two episodes are up now. I listened. I finished listening to episode two uh, this morning and, and really enjoyed it. And I think I think our audience will too. If you want to find links to all the stuff we've talked about, you can do so this week uh, in your podcast app of choice or on the web. Fire up your internet browser and go to relay.fm/slash connected one thirty nine. If you want to find us, you can do so on Twitter. Federico is V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he writes maxstories.net. You can find Mike. He'll be back next week, but you can find him on Twitter as I-M-Y-K-E, and you can find me at 512pixels.net or at I-S-M-H. Until next week, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.